Welcome into another edition of the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, uh, our buddy Jeffrey Wright, 92.9 ESPN in Memphis. He is the host, I guess the co-host of the Jeffrey and Giannato show every afternoon. He's also on with Jeff Calkins every morning there, 92.9 FM ESPN. He also comes on our uh, post-game show, Hand Raise Guys, after every game. He is our uh, guest initially as we take a look at the just-completed Ole Miss game. He'll be with us on Saturday, Ole Miss and Vanderbilt at 3. That game ought to wrap up around 6.30 or so. Hopefully it is a uh, an easy win for somebody, preferably the Rebels at this point. Um, and we, I'll have a column ready to roll. We'll go right into that, and Jeffrey will be uh, guest number one. So we'll get to Jeffrey in a minute. First, I want to tell you about the Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West in Oxford right next door. To the Oxford Exxon, you can get the big country meal deal, two country fried steak crystals and small tots for $4.99. drive through is open. Delivery is open for uh, you can load up for the weekend. Football uh, starts all day on Saturday through the night and then, of course, into Sunday. So you've got, uh, let's see, where's the all the delivery options for them? It's uh, Uber Eats, Grubhub, Waiter, DoorDash, if any of that meets you, you can get all your stuff you can also get the new crystal fan swag with a portion of the proceedings benefiting the crystal foundation so get your swag on there and uh, when you get your southern style chicken strips that's brand new so there's a lot going on at the oxford crystal so check that out highway six west right next door to the oxford exxon i'm coming to you from the clark ford studios clark fords in amory mississippi 662-257-1900 call the number ask for our buddy Corey clark tell Corey. What Ford product you're looking for, he'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line, no hassle, no haggle, you get your quote, and the rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that is hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the product. You'll love the service. Corey always says he wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. People say, what does that mean? Call the number. You'll find out. 662-257-1900. Now to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. And Jeffrey Wright, Jeffrey, how are you? I'm doing well, my man. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. It's a uh, it's a Tuesday morning. I just got through with SEC football and beyond, uh, which is we do it on uh, Streamyard, which provides you a really clean copy right away. So I was able to load that into SoundCloud. That's up for the people now that want to listen to it or watch it on our YouTube channel. And I've got uh, Ole Miss football media avail- availability in about an hour. And then I'm um, thinking about going solo on a podcast this afternoon. So just trying to trying to give content to the people. You know how that I mean, is. I mean, you're just, you know, again, we thank you for your service. Not all heroes <laughs> wear capes. And, you know, it, it's amazing what you do on a daily basis, even at your age. It, <laughs> that's very true. I can't argue. Um, all right. Uh, there's a couple things I want to get to with you. Um, I want to start believe it or not, with politics, because I'm fascinated by this. And I know people go, no, I don't want to talk about politics. Yeah, but this is a week out from a really interesting election. The most important election of (laughs) our lifetime. And I don't know that I'm going to do all that. I do think it's one of the more interesting ones of our lifetime. Because here's here's the juxtaposition that gets me, okay? All the polls say Biden's going to win. Yep. Fairly comfortably. I think yep. I think the race is tightening in most of the polls. There's a few polls that show a really tight race, but for the most part, Biden is is poised to win a comfortable election. 
Yet, you look at the television, and I've turned it on here in the Clark Ford Studios here and there, and I see the same thing over and over, and that's Trump has these rallies. And these rallies, man, are packed. He's in Pennsylvania, and then he's in Michigan, and he's in Georgia, and he's everywhere, and the rallies are packed. And then Biden basically disappears from the campaign trail, and when he does show up, he has these weird moments, and the and I realize that it, it, there there's some optics involved. They're trying to come across as the party that is far more concerned about the coronavirus than the than the Republicans, and so it's super spaced. There's nobody there. He's wearing a mask. All the people are masked and and socially distanced. And then at these Republican things. And I'm getting somewhere, I promise. At these Republican rallies, there's some masks. There's a lot of people without masks. They're all packed in there. They're yelling and cheering, and it's boisterous, and it's enthusiastic. And so I wonder, which one's right? The polls are what my eyeballs see. Well, I think what makes this election particularly interesting is that if you look back at 2016 Trump is Trump is the guy that needs needs somebody to combat he needs an opponent so if you look back let's even look back into the to the Republican nominee yeah the presumptive favorite going into the Republican nomination was Jeb Bush he immediately gets on stage and starts systematically just going after Jeb picks him off. It took him, I don't know. I feel like that was over with by New Hampshire. Yeah. So then he starts going after a little Marco Rubio and Rubio is basically done. I think super Tuesday was kind of when Rubio was done. Like once Rubio didn't win Florida, if I recall correctly, Rubio's out. He just destroyed him. Yeah. Then you know, at that point, the, the field starts to narrow and basically it, it winds up being just him versus Ted Cruz. And then it's Lion Ted. Uh, he, you know, he just starts, you know, going after Cruz. <laughs> he, and accused, he accused Cruz's father of killing Kennedy. Killing champ. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's some of his finest work. Um, like that is. You and I have talked about this. What what is truly. I don't know. Puzzling, I guess, is the word to me. It's not puzzling, but it's like the obvious is the fact that because of what he incites in people, for better or worse, it completely distracts away from the fact that this is objectively hilarious. Like some of the things that he does are just laugh out loud funny. And I get it. The argument would be, well, yeah, he's the president of the United States. He's not an entertainer and agreed. But with that being said, it's like you can't even acknowledge like some of the stuff that he does is just laugh out loud funny. But then you turn to 2016 and the general. All right, he gets Hillary and Hillary was not afraid to get into the mud with him because I think in Hillary's mind, she thought if I can just expose him for being what he is, it will make me look better. And Hillary's grave miscalculation is she's one of the least likable human beings of all time. 
And, you know, it took Barack Obama with essentially no resume. It took him about six seconds to beat her in, in Iowa. And so she she made that calculation. But Trump was able to tr- Trump was able to have that punching bag, that sparring partner. And she was comfortable being that. And so what the Democrats are banking on and whether or not this has become systematic, whether or not this is a little column A, a little column B, and that, the, you know, the less we show of, of Biden, the better. And for everyone that wants to do the they're just hiding Biden, they're just hiding Biden. Richard Nixon took the same playbook, like when Nixon ran again and yeah. in was it 64. Yeah. When he ran again in 64, No, he ran again in 68. Well, he he ran in sixty eight. That was he he ran in sixty and lost. He didn't run in sixty four. Okay, yeah. So he runs in sixty eight. Then seventy two was what? Okay, yeah, yeah. So he runs in sixty eight, and he had the same problem that Hillary had. Politician, um, you can say about dirty tricks and whatnot, but the man understood the game of politics, but not a likable person. So because of that. You know, he basically hit. Now, Biden's hiding is fascinating from this perspective in that is he hiding because they're trying to not give Trump ammo? Is he hiding because he doesn't want screen time because they're fearful of health? All of these questions. Um, I personally think that he's hiding less for health and more just because, I mean, Neil, at the end of the day, like he's not charismatic. He's not a speaker. He's not like he doesn't do well in those situations. If he did, he would have already won his party's nomination when he started running, you know, 30 years ago, but he's never been able to, to get the nomination. So there is a, there is a flaw there. And I don't necessarily think it's health. Like he's, he's had speaking problems in his youth. So I think there's a there's an element there. So the question then becomes. Is. You know, with polling and whatnot, we've already seen Trump is a political science phenomenon. All standard accepted political science doesn't really apply to him like you you, for, for better or worse, like the guy, the guy just kind of completely. Um, you know, he's an outlier uh, of unbelievable proportions. So therefore the central question for me becomes, I'm less worried about numbers and whatnot. The one number that I saw that I actually like raised up, I don't know how you felt about it, but when I saw the dueling town halls and the fact that Biden's town hall outrated Trump's, that was the first time I said, okay, I'm going to dog ear that. I don't think that's I don't think that's nothing. Yeah, I thought that I thought that was significant. So now you take a look at early voting numbers and early voting numbers are up to a high degree. And a, most a of record, it, I a think record degree. I, I think they're expecting now 136 million people voted in 2016. I think they're expecting to race past that. 150 to 160 million which is massive numbers i mean the 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 
what what what's debatable is how informed is the electorate. What is not debatable is how motivated to vote is the electorate. They are they are motivated to vote. I mean, in 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 droves. I mean, there some people are going to vote multiple times. So I mean, but I mean, there's it's the numbers are going to be staggering. I think from just a pure cumulative vote standpoint. And so what I think is fascinating about that is okay, you take a look, and I think right now it's about like. 50% of all early voters are Democrats. It's something along the lines of 30% are Republicans and 20% are either, you know, registered independents or no party affiliation. So you can look at it a number of ways. You can look at it as you just mentioned, okay, Democrats or people that are identifying as as Democrats are mo- more motivated than ever to vote this guy out of office. And I I do think that is significant if it's true, because no matter what the Democrats want to say, part of the reason why Hillary lost is not because this country is racist. It's because people that identified as Democrats didn't vote for her and didn't want to vote for her. Right. So there's a like that could be significant if if indeed that is the case. I think you could also reasonably look at it. Well, as we've been discussing for eight months now, there does seem to be a party delineation in how you feel about coronavirus. And so if you're a Democrat, you could be motivated to go and early vote because you don't want to be in the crowds and lines of the crowds and the lines of election day and whatnot. So like, I think there's plenty of reasonable explanations. The central question for me has, and always will be is voting against one person not voting for someone a powerful enough motivator to actually beat Trump historically the negative vote isn't really enough to propel you to win a general election if you will but as we said Trump all political science doesn't apply to Trump and I think that is what's interesting moving forward because I don't you you're the first person that's made me consider if it's closer than I think. Oh, I, I, don't I do. Sense. See, I do think it's close. I do. I think it's really close. I, I, I think that more and more I'm I, I'm sitting here looking at a real clear politics, which I think is is all in all the most valuable resource because they take all of the polls and they average and. Like I like 538, I like the site, but I think the site has some bias. Um, I like to the left. I think that Trafagler, I can't even ever pronounce it, they do good work and fascinating work, and they did really well in 2016, not so well in 2018, but I think they have a bias to the right. In real clear politics, if there's a bias, I can't find it. And so I'm sitting here looking at this. It's got... Uh, where, where, let me see if I can get. I'm gonna see if I can get the whole thing here, because it's it's really basically it has Biden up seven point four nationally, and it has the arrow going down. In other words, Trump's closing in the battleground states. If you average them in, Biden's lead is down to three point eight. If you start looking at individual states, Biden up one in Florida, Trump up four tenths of a point in Georgia. Which, if that's accurate, the election's over. Biden up one in North Carolina, up five in Wisconsin, Trump up basically one in Ohio, 
Biden's lead in Pennsylvania has shrunk to 3.6. So we're, we're talking about a ton of races inside the margin of error, which leads me to my point, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts. People keep saying, if you listen to this sportscast and this sportscast, and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, you've known me for a long time. I, pa- politics are fascinating to me. This race is really interesting because it's also, like you said, it's a lot of human it's a lot of human stuff here. I mean, you're right. I mean, politics, for better or worse, has now become the ultimate team sport. And you and I cover sports. And we're fascinated by strategies that work, strategies that don't. We, you and I are fascinated yeah. by the question why. Yeah, because the Democrats here are six days out for the second week in a row. They're candidates basically nowhere to be seen, which – whether you are a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or a Communist, you know that that's not the way these things work. I mean, even in elections that aren't particularly close, Clinton Dole, Obama Kerry, not Obama Kerry, Obama Romney, even in, in, in elections that aren't particularly close, the losing candidate is still out pounding the pavement to the end, and the winning candidate is still not taking anything for granted. I mean, just going and going and going until there's just no no time to go anymore. That is not the case here. You have you have a candidate that has disappeared, a running mate that doesn't have great likability numbers, and so they're having to kind of hide her against a president who is barnstorming and a vice president who is barnstorming. And you're right about the virus. The virus has become the ultimate political football. Pence is getting criticized for being out and about because some people in, on his staff have tested positive for the virus and they're quarantined. It, it's, we go on and on with it. But what I'm interested in is this, because there is, there is something to this. When people who are going to vote for Trump are called by these polling places, uh, you know, Rasmussen or whoever, do they admit they're voting for Trump? Because voting for Trump right now is less cool than it's ever been, to admit it out loud. There are people that that have lost jobs, have been, um, I mean, you know, you're, if, if you say out loud, hey, I'm definitely voting for Donald Trump, you get a reputation. You get labeled immediately. And so when strangers call your house, are you know, and they say, "Who are you going to vote for?" Do you say, "I don't know"? Do you say, oh, "I'm going to vote for Biden," even if you're voting for Trump, or do you say, "Yeah, I'm going to vote for Trump"? Because if you if you listen to some podcasts from well, pollsters, just say I'm undecided because we're starting to see a higher and higher, like yeah, or you just like hang 11% up. Seven percent that say they're undecided. You, are they truly undecided, or are they not wanting to admit that they're voting for Donald Trump? That's what I'm interested in, and we're not going to know that answer for a week. Maybe longer than that. Because if you if you think about the message that gets sent, look, in an ideal world, I think if we're all being honest, in an ideal world, what we would get is Biden would win. The Republicans would hang on to the Senate. We'd get kind of some lockdown where, because there is Trump fatigue. The, the, the Trump backers can can dispute this all you want to. There's Trump fatigue. This guy wears people out. I mean, it's been four years. People are worn out from it. But if the Democrats, if you have a blue wave, you have a lot of angry, motivated Democrats. And I don't think anybody can look at Joe Biden and go, that guy's going to be in the White House 24-7 running the country. No, he's not. not me. Give me a break. No, he's not. 
I mean, it, it, that's not realistic. So the, in an ideal world, from just a calm things down standpoint, Republicans hang on to the Senate. Biden gets elected. Maybe we all have a little cooling down period because we need one after 2020. But if you get a blue wave, things get really interesting because the Democrats would have power. It would send a message. The message that would be sent is total disdain for Trump, total disdain for the Republicans for uh, not standing up to Trump, pushback for probably the the um, process that just ended last night with um, Amy Coney Bryant Barrett being uh, put into the Supreme Court. There'd be confirmed. Push- yeah, confirmed. It was the word I was looking for. On the other side, and no one talks about this much, and I think this is fascinating. If Donald Trump wins, he almost certainly will bring the Senate along with him. It's really close right now. Like I think, I think a 50-50, 51-49 prediction is solid. He would. Probably- I don't see how Trump wins the election and the Republicans lose the Senate. Agreed. So if Trump wins, on election night, there's going to be a lot of people. We've been here before saying, how did this happen? And I'll tell you who the message is getting sent to if Trump wins. I believe this firmly. I think the message that the American people are sending to the media is one of the strongest, most resonating messages that have ever been sent. It would be literally telling the media, we don't like you, we don't trust you, we don't believe you, and we're done. And what has I, – I was thinking about this the other night uh, when I could not fall asleep. And forgive the generalities and whatnot, but something that stood out to me recently, and I kind of touched on it a moment ago with you, there seems to be two different types of critical thinking. There is a large group of people that largely ask that question that you just point out. How did this happen? How? How? And to me, that implies an emotional reaction. And then there's another group of people that ask, why did this happen? And what I think what I think Trump has exacerbated in the worst directions for both parties is the Republicans, the Republicans saw in 2016, they saw him win Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Florida, but mainly they won Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And I think after 2012 with Romney, I think there was the thought process at least amongst like Republican policy, not policymakers is wrong, but like Republican like decision makers, like the the strategists, the people that are are in charge of running campaigns and and getting people elected. I think there was a growing belief that we'll never get we'll never get the Rust Belt back. Like it's too union dominated, we can't do that. And then you see Trump appeal to those people and win. And then I think there was an overreaction from Republicans by saying, like, well, if that's how we have to do it, like, that's how we have to do it. Because in the end, those guys and gals' jobs is to win elections. And 
on the other side, you got the Democrats saying, uh, well, Trump just won because no one wanted to vote for a woman. No one wanted to. Uh, it's a racist country. And and he appeals to racist and whatnot. And there's no question, in my opinion, he does sto- like he's he stokes racism. Like, I'm not saying no question about it. I'm not saying if I will, you will never hear me say if you vote for Donald Trump, you're inherently a racist because I fundamentally understand a lot of times you're picking between the least, the least crappy option. So I, I, I don't, or you're voting your pocketbook. Yes. Yeah. Like in, in the end, like, I, I just don't, I don't believe you vote for Trump. I do think that I do think if you vote for, like, I think there are racists that vote for Trump, but then again, on the flip side, I think there are racists that vote against Trump. So, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. I, I, like yes. I, I, I can hold two thoughts in my head. But what what really struck me is that rather than looking at Trump getting elected and asking why did he get elected, everyone like threw their hands up in the air and said, how did they how did this happen? How, how, how? And to me, the bigger question is, why did it happen? And. Were we vulnerable from a technology perspective, and I'm not saying the Russians hacked in and uh, uh, rigged the election for Donald Trump, but we were vulnerable at a place in which social media and we were susceptible to being motivated by trolling and whatnot. And I think that is an alarming, alarming thought. Um, you know, how did the Republican Party essentially get hijacked by a man that's not really a conservative Republican? Like, he's just not like you can you can be a Trump person and like he's not a, he's not a conservative like he's not. No, and not so a, not at all. So does he's, that mean that, a, that maybe, there's a a fundamental party, maybe there's a fundamental change in, in what the party values? And we've seen this happen three or four times throughout the course uh, of our our country's history. But to me, those are kind of I think instead of asking how did Trump get elected, we should have started asking why did he get elected? So before we move on. Got a week, six days, and counting. What's your prediction for election night? I think Biden wins. And the biggest reason I think Biden wins is, in the end, I think there's a lot of Republicans and a lot of people that, uh, you know, I'm not even talking about, like, the Lincoln Project, because the Lincoln Project has their own agenda. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that are business oriented, people that adhere to conservative policies that are just sick and tired of this. And they're sick and tired of like in the end, it's it's been a reality television show. And I think a lot of people feel as if they've been got, if you will. And I don't think it's like I don't think this is going to be some type of bloodbath. Because it seems to me like it seems to me right now, it's pretty obvious that by like if you look at most of these polls, even even ones that lean particularly, it seems like even Trump favoring polls acknowledge he's unlikely to win the popular vote. Uh, you can have a disagreement by how much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no there's there's no scenario where he wins that. I don't think I mean, if that happens, then boy. Modern polling is done. I mean, completely scrapped. You have to completely throw it out and start over. I mean, in a scenario where Trump wins, 
more than 50% of the vote or, or, or wins the, the overall vote. It's, it's that, that business is, is cratered. I mean, because no one's, no one's calling for that. No, no one, no one sees that. Correct. So he has, he's trying to win a thin margin in the electoral college. And basically the way I look at it, he's going to have to win virtually four of the six, if not five of the six, he's going to have to win Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania. And if he loses Pennsylvania and Ohio, or if he loses Pennsylvania and Florida, or if he loses Michigan and Florida, like if he loses any of those, you know, the, the 20 plus votes, if he loses two of them, he can't win. So to me, he has less margin for error. And I understand like people would say, well, the Republican always has less, less margin for error, which I, I don't particularly disagree with. But a lot of things had to go right for him on Election Day in 2016. And I don't know. I don't know if that's repeatable. The one I was telling you about was the Trafalgar group, which is the one that yeah. kind of nailed it in, in uh, 16. Like they've got Trump up. 2.8 in North Carolina. They've got Trump up. Got Trump down 1.3 to Biden in uh, in Wisconsin. It's just there's a lot, I man. If if they're right, and to their credit, they were right four years ago. They were not particularly good on the midterms. If they if they're right, it's going to be a fascinating long night. There's going to be um, it'll be must watch TV flipping around. I'll say that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be glad when it's over. Um, the the one thing I'm see, I, I don't know how you like. I voted early last Wednesday, and it was a therapeutic thing. Not because of who I voted for, it was therapeutic for me because from that, like, I cast my ballot, I did my responsibility as a citizen, and I looked at my wife and I told her, "I'm done." Yeah, I'll tell you this election. I'm out. People ask me why I'm so worked up about it. I'll be honest. It's not. I've said this out loud. I I don't like Trump. I don't like Trump's Twitter. I don't like. You know me. I don't like trash talk. It bothers me. I mean, you and I. There's never been a president in my lifetime that has ever spoken to the American people, like even Bush, even W, who clearly, uh, you know sowed the seeds uh, of upsetting uh, the left and, and Democrats to a level that, you know, some people thought was never was never going to be possible. Well, hang in there, buddy. Let me let me tell you how it gets around 2016. He still talked as if he was the president of every citizen of the United States of America. Yeah. Donald Trump speaks as if he's the president of the people that voted for him. Yeah, there's no question about it. So my, 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 here's my thing with. People say, why are you worked up about it? I'm worked up because I'm of the very strong opinion that we can't shut down again, that we can't do this again, that we've, we've, we've got to keep our country moving forward. We've got to get kids back in schools. We've got to open universities. I believe that. I don't think we can wait on a vaccine, even if the vaccine is is – it's frankly, it's where Trump has done a terrible job of campaigning for himself. If I was listening last night, there are there are people who really believe this. I can't even remember what it's called, Operation 
Warp speed. Warp speed. It, it's it's like honestly, it sounds like space balls. Like we yeah. go from like ludicrous speed. Like, like that's that's the next one. There are people that think this is for real. That by June, there's going to be 300 million vaccines in our country. That we're literally going to wipe this thing out, which is difficult for me to believe and comprehend. But if I'm Trump. This is what I'm preaching. I mean, that would be my thing, and he just—it's it, not his style. So he—he he is, to his credit, I'll give him credit. He is true to himself all the way to the end, and I, I'm with you. I think he's going to lose. Um, Here's the other thing I'll say about this, to like to to tie it up. Yeah. But what I was going to say, Jeffrey, is this: I'm so worried about that because my kids, and then I think sure. it's not just me, but my kids are representative of a lot of kids. I don't know how well they handle that again. I don't know how well I, – I don't think that's good for them. I, I, and that's – my concern with the, all of it is as we've gone along and it has become this devi- – the most divisive thing I've ever experienced, coronavirus. It has become if you are, if you are a Democrat, you're, you are terrified, you want to shut down, all those things, and I'm being a little hyperbolic, and if you're a Republican, you want to ignore it, you want to burn your mask, and, 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 and all of that stuff, there, there is, we, 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 we run further and further and further from the middle, and my fear is if Biden wins, especially if he wins and they win the Senate, they being the Democrats, that we get another one of these shutdowns, and I, I, I worry about what it does to my kids. That's what I think about. People say, why are you so worked up? That's why. It's not about me. I, hell, I work from home. I haven't left home yet today. I've been super productive since 540 in the morning. No, for guys like us, the truth is, we, compare, compared to our profession, um, apparently we are um, somewhere in between Mussolini and Hitler on the political spectrum. Um, <laughs> um, but we, we actually... We we lean pretty much down the middle. Uh, uh, we, I, I guess like it, it's probably like fifty one forty nine, probably well, to the right uh, the, versus the I've, left. I've but gone yeah. further. I've gone further to the right during coronavirus. Coronavirus and watching the way that our field handled it has shifted me probably more sixty five to seventy. Yeah, and see, I I beat you to the punch on hating everyone in our field. Um, That's true. I think you had you had specific people you hated, whereas I I had the unique perspective of being in grad school and I saw where journalism was headed because I saw the people that were teaching it. And so I had a little bit of a head start on you in that. Um, The biggest real reason, though, kind of why I think he loses. Say what you want about these two individuals and and I I will never defend them. But he had Manfred and he had Stone in 2016. And those guys are professional like campaign runners. And you may have disagreed with everything that they said. You may have agreed with it. But he had a consistent agenda and a consistent message. And he was on point and he hammered it, hammered it, hammered it for, for legal reasons. Those two gentlemen are no longer a part of it. And so now, for better or worse, this is the Donald Trump show. Yeah. And Trump kind of throws a lot of, like, whether it's Twitter, whether or not it's working a campaign or working a rally, like, he throws stuff at the wall and he kind of sees what works and what fits. And so, because of that, certain things resonate on certain days. And so, he doesn't have 
a consistent message. It's why every single day feels like, good God, what next? Like, what, what is it next? And so I don't think the people that are running this campaign are capable, like the people that are running his campaign, I think could get a lot of Republicans elected. I don't think they can get Donald Trump elected. And I think in the end, that's the difference. This podcast also brought to you by Community Mortgage. Community Mortgage uh, is more than 30 years old. It's one of the oldest uh, mortgage companies in the southeast. It's located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, and Chattanooga. All of the underwriting and the processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting that understands your market. It's also the leader in condo financing in the Oxford market. So ask Jason Lowe about Community Mortgage's float-down option, which allows you to lock in the current rate. Rates go down before you close. You get the lower rates. J-Lowe, J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by LB's Meat Market, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford, 662-259-2999. Get in touch with Greg Jones and the people there at LB's. I got to tell you, on Thursdays, they get the seafood that arrives every week. And um, I jumped into some of that late last week. On Saturday, when we got done with our marathon coverage of Auburn at Ole Miss, uh, the spiny lobster, the scallops, fantastic. It's all fresh. It's right there at LB's. House-made sausages. Uh, of course, you can always go with the old reliable, the, the lane train specials, the bacon wrap fillets, the bone-in ribeye, all of that there. Pork, chicken, everything you could possibly want at LB's Meat Market. Make sure you tell Greg that you heard about it on the beer garden. You heard about it on the butcher versus the spin instructor. Whatever the case may be, he'll throw a little something extra in your sack and make your trip to LB's even more enjoyable if that's possible. Again, 662 259 Two nine nine nine. All right, my uh, my Bears went to Los Angeles last night. You talked about this. Uh, the Bears didn't do a whole lot to try to change the protection scheme to make it work. Quite frankly, I don't know that anything would have worked. That that was as impressive a defensive performance as I've seen in a long time. The Rams last night, and again, the Bears are are not as good as their record. They've won a lot of close games, but the Rams last night looked like a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, if if you look at the like if you look at the numbers, it it was unbelievable to kind of to kind of look at how the Rams were able to do what they did. I, I'm with you in that when Aaron Donald is on, there's nothing you can do with him. Like if you look at it, I believe he had nine pass rushes where uh he beat his defender in under two and a half seconds. And a lot of those, he beat them like off the snap. And five of those, so over 50% of those pass rushes, he was doubled. With that being said, like, they, there are things that you can do. Like, in the end, with Nick Foles, like, you're trying to push the ball down the field with Nick Foles. Like, that's, his strength is his deep ball. And so, therefore, if it's going to be a deep ball, like, you're going to need to max protect or you're going to need to keep your back in and you're going to need to give him three to four seconds to to make the throws and they kept trying to just like run slide protections and it like it was amazing to me to see zero adjustment it was just like eventually oh we're like it was almost as if like they were saying well if we let them through enough maybe they'll get tired and, and they won't be able to rush the passer as much in the second half I doubt that was the game plan. I think they just thought that eventually they were going to be able to eventually they were going to be able to 
block enough to make plays. But you look at left guard, right guard, Neil, on PFF, their pass blocking scores were a 19 and a 30. Uh, Bobby Massey at right tackle, 44. The two centers uh, were 16 and 18.3. That's no coincidence. That's where Aaron Donald is a lot. But it's it's one of those situations where with the Rams, like you, you're not going to be able to single team Donald but you can't try to reach him. Like there was a lot of plays where like, they're trying to like, they're trying to beat him with quickness. And it's like, no, that's what he does. Like he is quick. And I thought they actually had a pretty good game plan to start. It was a lot of quick passing. It was a lot of screens. It was a lot of stuff, get the ball out of his hands and see if, and see if you can move the ball down the field that way. But it was almost like as soon as they got one penalty and a, and a drive stalled, it's like, well, that doesn't work. So like, let's go back to like, let's, let's try to chunk it. And then obviously when you're unable to run the ball, it, it, it creates a situation where they're not really worried about you running it on them. The Rams are very good. Um, the teams that have given them trouble are the teams like the bills and the bills are built with a, Big offensive line that can kind of, they're not, like, you don't beat Aaron Donald, but you can win some stalemates. And when you win stalemates, you've got a guy like Allen who's able to throw the ball down the field. And then further, he's mobile. So even if Donald wins, he's able to get outside the pocket, extend plays, and it's tough to cover for as long as you need to. And then you look at, like, what the what the Rams did, to, or a big run, what the Niners did to them, which is they basically fought fire with fire. Like, the there's not in terms of like philosophy, there's not a lot of philosophical differences between Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. Like they both want to run outside zone and they want to run play action bootlegs off that, get their quarterbacks outside the pocket and get guys running uh, free and hitting big plays that way. So they're not a perfect team, but I'm not sure how many teams would have beaten them the way they played last night. The, the issue with them is because of salary cap reasons and whatnot. Like if Jalen Ramsey gets hurt, they're screwed. Uh, if Donald gets hurt, they're screwed. Like their margin for error is very, very slim. All right. Tell me contender or not at this point, obviously Kansas city is a contender. They, they might be the best team in the game. Pittsburgh Super Bowl contender contender that Pat, like in the end, the way that the rules are written, you can't just like you can't just line up defensively and say, uh, you know, we're going to lock you down. Like you have to essentially create negative plays because the rules are written to where guys are going to score. So what the Steelers have done is they're susceptible in coverage, but their pass rush is so good that they create tons of negative plays, and then offensively they are built to like suffocate you. Like they hold the ball. They're great at converting third downs. Is big Ben still, you know, peak big Ben? No, but he's still good enough. And he has that ability to extend plays long enough that he's still good enough to beat you. So yes, I think they're a contender. Titans. The Titans are like, everything has to go right for the Titans. They have to avoid teams like they have to avoid teams like 
the Chiefs, teams like, like in their ideal world, their path to a Super Bowl is some combination of uh, Ravens, Steelers. Yep. Yep. Like they have to play the teams that are ball controlled teams because when they get into when they get into the the shootout, they don't have the same firepower. They're still good offensive. They're more of a tremendously efficient and effective offense than they are uh, the Kansas City offense, which can beat you so many ways. All right, you mentioned the Ravens. I like them fine. I've yet to watch them this year and go, oh, yeah, they're headed to the Super Bowl. Even though they're 5-1, and one, I don't know why that is. Am I – Am I not letting go of their past playoff performances? Is that what it is? Is it just in the back of my mind there's this seed planted? No, what I think it is, their games have to stay on schedule. Like, they, they, like everyone talks about the, the, you know, the, when they trail, they're a different team. Well, they are. When you, if they get a lead, they're very good at sitting on leads because they're so effective running the football. But if they fall behind and then it becomes pass first, Lamar has improved as a passer, but he's still not the guy that you're not running the same game plan with with Lamar that you are with Russell Wilson or that you are with um, Aaron Rodgers. And I'm 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 not saying Brady. Like I'm talk I'm taking mobile quarterbacks that are pass first guys. So you're not you when they get if they don't control the script and control the game they don't have like they've not proven to this point that they are capable of of coming from behind it's the same thing that happened in the titans playoff game like in the end the titans got out in front they took advantage of a turnover late they got up two scores and they were never able to make the plays in the passing game to get back in the game and get back on schedule Seattle's a contender for sure. There's no question about that. I don't even want to waste time on that. They absolutely look like a Super Bowl team. Tampa Bay. 100%. See, I think so too. I think actually if you made me bet today, you told me you get to bet on one of these two teams is going to win the the Super Bowl, the Seahawks or Tampa Bay. I think I'm taking Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay, like, my God, what that would do for Tom Brady's already incredible legacy. Have you even thought about it? I mean, no one's – look, Tom Brady could quit today and go, you know what, screw it, I'm going to go play with matchbox cars. And we'd all go, he's the GOAT, see ya. If he wins one in Tampa? Well, I mean, the bigger question is, Neil, I'm convinced now more than ever. I know where you're going, and I agree. This is why this is interesting. They won't say this, but the Patriots did not expect Brady to actually walk. I don't think it was this arrogance that people are saying that Belichick, that Belichick, uh, you know, he thought he could do it without him and it's fine. Like, let, don't let the door hit you in the ass. I'm not convinced of that. I'm convinced Belichick in his mind thought in the end, he and I both know, like, I understand that I'm better with him and he understands that he's better with me. Mm. And I don't, I think that was his, his risk. He decided to date other people. And you see it to me like the ultimate example of this is it is not a Bill Belichick move to decide that your quarterback is a guy that another franchise gave up on, not from a talent perspective, not from a locker room perspective, 
but from a health perspective, that's not a Belichick move. Green and I'm also willing to consider, I am also willing to consider Cam's struggles on Sunday are still, hey, he's still, he's coming back from, from COVID. Like, I am willing to consider that because he's not looked as, like, he hasn't looked amazing, really, honestly, since the Seattle game, but he's not looked that bad. Yeah, and I'm not comparing myself to Cam Newton, but I can tell you that it took me two or three weeks just from, you're everybody's going to laugh. Just coming back from the flu. But it took is, me, it, yeah, it was three weeks before my Peloton numbers were the same again. For what, and everybody's going, ah, oh, you're an idiot, whatever. That's fine. That's, it's cool. All good. But it, there was, there was a, there was a period there. No, I mean, in the end, it, that is a relative comparison because yes, you're not an elite Cam Newton athlete. No. But at the same time, you, you have a baseline of what your numbers are. Exactly. And, and, and there it was took, a change, yes. and now like it took you a while to get back to the baseline. Uh, Green Bay, contender? No contender. Contender. Yeah, I think so too. Rodgers is, Rogers is on the F Everybody Tour, and their defense is their defense is very good. Buffalo, contender? Probably not yet, right? Buffalo, to me, is built a lot like the Titans in that they have a specific way they can beat you. But when anything deviates from that, they struggle to find other ways to win. Like in the end, this is what I think makes Alabama so formidable this year. We've watched them get into the game that they got into with Ole Miss, which is still like the drunkest game I've ever watched in my entire life. And I loved every single second of it. And then we watched them kind of get into a modern rock fight with Georgia, and they won both by two scores. Oh, I agree. I think it said so much about Alabama that they can they, they can show up and say, all right, you picked the rules, and they still win. Yes. yes. Uh, we talked about the Rams. Last one or two, because we're going to wrap with something different. Um, Saints aren't a contender, right? That, it's over? I I think so. Like I, I think too. Breeze looks worse than he did the last couple of years, and they didn't have enough the last couple of years. Okay, so uh, we'll stop there because I think that's who the contenders are. I'm going to ask this question because you love – I'm adding the Niners. I, oh, I you like think they're – okay. Now okay. they're starting to get healthy. Okay, all but right. But the problem is still the same thing, Jimmy G. Which leads me to my question, which is obviously – this is a quarterback league. It's always been a quarterback league. If you have a great quarterback, look at Arizona. They've got Kyler Murray coming along, and all of a sudden, look out. You know, it's kind of interesting. So, if you're the probably the Jets or whoever, if you're whoever, quote, wins the lottery and finishes worst. Sure. Which quarterback do you take? Is it is it uh, is it definitely Trevor Lawrence? Or is it uh, Fields at Ohio State? I think it's definitely Lawrence. And I'm on record as saying I'd, I'm not sold that he is the generational type quarterback that he's being proclaimed to be. Because in the end, like the last guy we saw that was can't miss like this was Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was really freaking good. How many titles Andrew Luck got? None yet. So, I think with Lawrence, I'm convinced that like that's kind of his floor. It's like a modern Andrew Luck. 
with that being said, like, I have questions about him. Like when the, when the competition level rises, he has not played well. That doesn't mean he's incapable of playing well, but like we look at what he did. We look at what he did against Alabama in the, uh, the Santa Clara or yeah, whatever the, the Santa Clara Super Bowl out at Levi's. He was very good, but Neil, it was a lot of outside one-on-one throws. Now, this is where I'm willing to this is where I'm willing to concede on this argument. I see football moving in a direction that I did not anticipate in that what is being considered um elite quarterback play is down vertical vertical outside throws that change the game. Lawrence has proven he can do that. Um, I still think he gets bored at times. And, uh, you know, I don't love that. But with that being said, I can completely understand why he's getting bored. Um, My issue with Fields is it feels like he's a little slow going through progressions. I think he's actually more accurate than Trevor. I don't think he has the fastball that Trevor does, but like in terms of putting it on the money, um, uh, you know, making mistakes with accuracy, I think he makes fewer than Lawrence does. But also, I think it helps being the quarterback at Ohio State because that offensive line, like you can go through your progressions. You don't get breathed on. Like you, you can afford to be a step, you know, a half a, half a beat slow on your read and make the perfect throw because like you are given and afforded the time to do that. I think that's uh, to me, like uh, if I were picking two and I ended up with fields, I would be thrilled but if I'm picking at one and I got my choice of both of them, I don't really. Someone's going to have to make a real strong case to me for why I'm not taking Lawrence. World Series going seven. Snell, the Snell take it to seven tonight. What did you think of his last start? He he. Fell victim. He, was, he threw four, right? Yeah, the, the, the Dodgers did to him kind of what they did to Ian Anderson. They just ran his count up, wore him out, made every pitch exhausting, and then they got him. I think it ends tonight. If it does, it's we. you got to discuss the Dodgers in a different way at some point. It's one of the things I'm going to talk about on the Oxford Exxon podcast today a little bit if, if – if but isn't it also perfect that if this, like, let's say this is it, like this is the one they win and it doesn't, they don't win anymore. Doesn't it also like perfectly fit the narrative of like, you know, this, this postseason doesn't have an asterisk. Like they've been clearly like you look at who they've gone through, who they've beaten. If, if they beat the Rays, they will have beaten the team. The only other team that had the record similar to they did, uh, beating the Braves in the fashion they did. Yep. The Braves, the Braves up until they played the Dodgers had not lost a postseason game. Like that's insane. Like they were terrific through that whole point. And then you look at uh, you know, the 
the Brewers, I still felt like the Brewers were a pretty tough out in the wild card, like all things considered. Um, and then, you know, you look at what they did. They still played the Padres too, right? Yeah, they beat the Padres. Beat, they beat they, so beat, they beat the Brewers, Padres, Padres, Braves, and now Rays. It would be there. There would be no. It's a, it's a hell a of a good, run. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good. Uh, like who? Because like I'm a big believer of like who you beat does matter. Like when everyone's yeah. talking about how this was LeBron's toughest championship to win. Stop. Yes, he was favored. Go Stop. kill yourself. Yeah, he beat a six seed. He beat a seventy three win team. Yeah, no, this would this would be. A hell of an accomplishment for the Dodgers. It, it, and it, but if Tampa wins tonight, boy, the Dodgers. You start thinking they get really tight for a game seven. The Rays would be the looser game seven team, in my opinion. Not that anybody gets loose in a game seven, but well, also game seven's typically going to be kind of Johnny Holstaff. You know what I mean? Because it's a game seven. Who's got more experience in those games than Rays? It's true, no doubt. That's what they are. Yeah. And if, I hope if the Dodgers lose, the only thing I'll say is, I, 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 for whatever reason, I have a soft spot for Kershaw. I would hate to see Kershaw, after pitching his ass off in this series, be forced out there on short rest in a game seven and get hit, and everybody goes, see, he can't win the big one. It's like, stop, come on. That would drive me. That would that would bother me for some reason. Hey, man, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Um a little bit of something for everybody in this particular beer garden, and I appreciate your time very much. All right, my man. That's Jeffrey Wright, 92.9 FM in Memphis. You can check his show out every day, 2 to 4. He and Mark Gennato is also on with Jeff Calkins every morning. We'll be back uh, next week with another edition of The Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Until then, take care.